Thank you for joining us for the Sunrise Message of the Week podcast. This podcast is brought to you by Sunrise Christian Center and your sponsors, the Send Network and Seattle Bible College. For more information, check out isunrise.org. Help us get the word out by subscribing, downloading, rating, and commenting on our podcast. The more you interact with our content, the more people will hear it. This week, Pastor Dan shares a message from our Kingdom Heart of a Disciple series called Do Not Worry. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 6. We'll continue our series on the Sermon on the Mount. Have you been enjoying Sermon on the Mount series? It's been very applicable to where we're living as a culture, as a people. So turn with me to Matthew chapter 6. I want to share a little bit. We've been doing the Kingdom Heart of a Disciples series. And in doing so, we've looked at the nine Beatitudes. And now we're looking in the middle of the nine hindrances for the kingdom coming. I'm going to talk about two, two ideas. First of all, do not worry. That's what Jesus said in this passage. And then he gave some reasons to not worry. And then he said, but seek first the kingdom of God, the second thing, and his righteousness and all these other things shall be added to you. But when he gets to the nine hindrances, we've talked about them. It, if you give your alms, you know, if you give to the poor or someone in need out of, a, you know, out of your, the kindness of your heart, and you do it to God, but you do it also to be seen of men, you're divided, you're distracted. And he said, you know, you, if, if your reward is having people see you, then they'll see you do it and you get your reward. If you pray to God, but then you really want men to hear you pray, uh, you've got your reward, men have heard you pray. But if you go to in the secret place with God alone and spend time, it doesn't mean we shouldn't have public prayer. We address that. It doesn't mean we shouldn't pray together. We should, but a lot of it's the attitude of the heart. And when we fast, if we really want people to know we're fasting, and that's part of our purpose in fasting, we get distracted and we get divided in what our attention should really be on. And we can lay up treasures in heaven, but also want treasures on earth. And uh, we can get divided in those type of things with wrong motivations. And we can see in two directions. Our eye can be full of light, but if we allow it to be dark and get into evil things or darkness, we've seen God exposing a lot of things. Uh, Pastor John shared with us a few months ago that he felt the Lord spoke to him be a great unveiling. We've seen some shocking leaders be exposed for things that were being done in secret. It's a, it's a, it's a message to all of us to make sure that we're living in the right way, that our hearts, our lives are clean. And uh, may God restore those that have not already gone to stand before him. We see sometimes in uh, two directions that way. We see sometimes we're loyal to God and we uh, serve God, but then we also want to serve mammon and then we're divided and we're distracted if we do that. Jesus said not to do that. We can be anxious or we can apply our energies in two ways. We can be using our energies to be worried or we can be using our energies to bring the kingdom of heaven to earth. Uh, we also, as we're going to get on next week, we can be critical of others more than we're critical of ourselves. How many of you know in the church we can be good at that? We can point out all the world's sins because then we don't have to deal with anything in our life. But Jesus is most concerned about what's happening in the church and our heart and our attitudes. And the last thing that we'll be looking at, not today, but will be, you know, when you give yourself to God, he reveals things, but be careful that you don't cast those pearls before swine. Be careful how you engage people that don't know him with the gospel. And remember, we do not achieve the kingdom. We don't achieve it. We receive the kingdom. And when I was walking yesterday, I got a phone call from a Norwegian eagle as I was walking. Some of you know the Norwegian eagle, Leif Hetland. And we had a little conversation. Uh, I joked once because he had a, a message on birds, so I had 
uh, graphic done with an eagle body and Leif's head on it. And then he got back at me and he had uh, one of our people talk about an old American eagle that was a bald eagle and put a picture of me on an eagle on one of his presentations. So we have a lot of fun together. And uh, we're going to have a number of people come on revival night. So there's going to be a lot of people showing up. I'll give you a little clue. The Nor- Norwe- Norwegian Eagle might land one of these revival nights. So you're, you're, gonna, you're not even going to know all the people that are coming. They're just going to show up. So you better come on revival night. Because God's bringing people from all over the world in the local area. And we're going to see a revival. We've contended for it for many, many years. And we're going to see the revival. I don't know about you, but I, I can feel a revival in the air. And I believe that God is going to answer the prayers of a desperate church. And I believe he's actually preparing the world to get so desperate and to become reprobate that they'll want to do like I did when I got reprobate and get saved. But remember, we don't achieve the kingdom. We receive the kingdom. He said in Luke's gospel that it's your father's good pleasure, little flock, to give you the kingdom. So you receive the kingdom. You don't achieve the kingdom. We're going to talk a little about the kingdom and how it operates throughout the message And it's so important. I like what E. Stanley Jones said. He said this, nothing above the kingdom, nothing outside the kingdom, nothing against the kingdom, and everything within the kingdom. We need to be a people who are kingdom-hearted and kingdom-minded. The gospel of the kingdom of the Lord Jesus Christ is the central message that we preach, that we live. And God wants to help us in Jesus' teachings on the Sermon on the Mount to do two things in this passage. It's to do not worry. It's a negative imperative. It's a command. It's not an option. He's saying, if you want to live in my kingdom, do not worry. This is not to condemn people. I know there's a bigger pandemic right now than COVID-19. It's the pandemic of anxiousness and fear that the enemy is having run rampant through the nations. And we spend time in man prayer binding the spirit of fear, binding the spirit of division and loosing. Part of the keys of the kingdom is you can loose on earth what's been loosed in heaven. And you can loose on, um, you can bind on earth what's already been bound in heaven, and you can loose on earth what's, um, you know, been um, loosed in heaven. Again, it has to be the Lord directing. It's not just us deciding and us choosing and us just saying words. It has to be initiated by the Father because Jesus said, I, the Son, if Jesus Christ, the Son, could do nothing by himself, why do we think we can he said, I can only do what the Father shows me to do. And so our lives should be examples of living with the Father, hearing his voice, spending time in the secret place with him, and then walking out uh, those impressions and those things that he does in our heart and life. So Matthew six twenty five says, Therefore I say to you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink. I do get new glasses. or what you eat or what you drink, not about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the, whole, the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air, for they neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? Which of you, by worrying, can add one cubit to his stature, which is about 18 inches? If I would have added 18 inches to my stature, I would have been playing in the NBA. So why do you worry about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. And yet I say to you that even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Now if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not so much more clothe you? O ye of little faith. 
Therefore, do not worry, saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For after all these things the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly Father knows that you have need of all these things. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these other things shall be added to you. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow. For tomorrow will worry about its own things. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Father, I pray for anybody that's anxious or worried. Lord, may they hear your heart and my heart. We're not here to condemn anyone. We're here to see people freed, to see them released into your peace. And you said to be anxious for nothing but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, to let our requests be made known unto God. And the peace of God that passes all of our understanding shall keep our hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. You said, finally, my brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, think on those things, if there be any virtue and there be any praise. And Lord, we praise you that you give peace to people in anxiety. And we thank you that you cause us to seek your kingdom, and your kingdom comes and your will is done on earth as it is in heaven. Moved by your spirit today, we pray in Jesus' name. And we'll give you all the glory and all the honor. Amen. So first of all, Jesus says, do not worry. He says, first of all, don't worry about your life. I wonder how much time we spend worrying about our life. How much time we spend worrying about this and worrying about that and worrying about what's going to happen next week and worrying what's going to happen in our future. And You know what? Worry can cause more problems physically and mentally and spiritually and emotionally than some of the things we even need, although those things can cause some problems too. There's so many things, and it's interesting. The word worry in the original Greek language means to divide into parts. It means to be distracted. See, Mary and Martha weren't so much about a server and a worshiper. They were about a woman that was distracted and one that wasn't. It wasn't that Jesus was against service or waiting, but he was against being distracted from what was to be done right then. The most important thing to be done right then was to sit at his feet. And isn't it amazing? Because in uh, Matthew 25, it says, and then the kingdoms of heaven shall be like this, or likened unto this. Then is in the context of the end times. It says there'll be five wise virgins and five foolish virgins. I believe the five wise virgins were people in the end times who have an oil of intimacy in their lamps, and they've spent an intimate relationship with God. Because you can't you know, give your intimacy with God away to someone else. You can't give them the oil that you've accumulated. When it means buy, it doesn't so much mean money. It means that you built a relationship. Uh, on earth, my most intimate person that I have in my life is my wife, who I have very great intimacy with. And I, you know, I, I can't give someone else my intimacy with my wife to them. You can't buy it from me. I wouldn't give it to you. I wouldn't sell it. But you know, it's something that you've earned through a process of opening your heart and her opening her heart. And he says, and those people will be the people that when he comes in the last days to do things, we'll be able to understand the opportunities. Mary was not distracted. She was the only woman that got to anoint Jesus for his burial. I believe she knew what she was doing. Jesus said, wherever this gospel is preached, there will be a memorial for this woman. And she has done this for my burial. The other women came to the tomb and it was too late. She was the only one that got to anoint him. 
And there will be opportunities afforded to those in this hour. You know, the, the enemy's big plan right now is to get us so distracted by media, by what people are saying, by what people are doing. And all that really matters is what is the Father and the Son saying to us? What do they want to speak into our lives? And I have people come and say, oh, pastor, did you see this? And I said, no, I'm, I'm not watching those things. I watch GNN, God News Network. He's got a, a good report every morning for me when I get in his word, and he speaks to me and tells me what to do. And that's all I'm responsible for. And see, the enemy wants you to worry about world problems, what's going to happen, get all stressed out about stuff that you have absolutely no control over. But you have a father, and guess what? He says, I even take care of the birds. And he said, you know what? The birds don't sow, and the birds don't reap, and the birds don't even have a pantry. That's the Dan Hammer amplified version. They don't have a bird Costco to go to. They just sing praises all morning long and fly about. And the only time they usually move their nest or their residence if they see a cute bird down the street. <laughs> kind of like humans. And isn't it amazing? The mastermind of the universe that could have used beyond MIT and engineering uses a simple illustration by looking at the birds. In one of my most anxious times, I said, God, would you please show me that you're with me in my life? And all of a sudden, all these sparrows started to fly into, I mean, just like those little tiny sparrows. They just started to fly like crazy. And there was probably 50 of them that flew right outside my window. He said, Dan, I know everything that's going on in that sparrow's life. And I brought them here this morning to remind you. And then when I used to eat at McDonald's more, one time I was down parked. You know, I would kind of get away from the office so nobody would bothering me on my lunch break. So I, I went down there to 128, pulled up on the side, ordered a two-cheeseburger meal with French fries, and I got through the two cheeseburgers and I got ready to eat my fry, and this little sparrow came and landed right on my side view mirror. I mean, have you ever sat there ready to eat a French fry? All over 200 pounds of you? And there's this little sparrow, and it's looking at you with its eyes like this and going like this. And I'm thinking, Father, did you bring this little bird here for me to share my French fries? And he said, yes. I don't know about you, but that's how the Father speaks to me. I don't have an MIT degree. But the illustrations Jesus could use, he made it that even a child could understand it. And I said, I rolled down the window, I said, okay, I'm going to give you one, but don't tell your friends where you got it. <laughs> Must have worked because he flew off, took the, or she, and took the, the French fry. And you know what? It says in... Psalm 94, verse 19, in the multitude of my anxieties, your comforts delight my soul. When I went through another time of anxiety, one of the times uh, my grandson, I think he was three or four, I said four, I think he's about four, and we ate peanut butter jelly sandwich together and we sang Jesus Loves Me together. And there's something about being childlike when it comes to anxiety. I took a walk with my two grandsons and we went down to the, the little lake, it's kind of more like a pond, and we went down there and Justice, who just got baptized last week, got baptized in the Holy Spirit, and Davy, my five-year-old grandson, they, they went to the bridge and they, sa- they said, Papa, we're going to make sticks, we're going to have boat races. And they were throwing sticks in. And, you know, they're, they're just floating down and they're, and they're sitting on the other side, I'm going to win, I'm going to win. And I thought, man, it would be great to be childlike again. And if you want to enter the kingdom, the Bible says you need to become like a little child. We've become way, way too sophisticated. And he says, don't worry If I take care of the birds, don't worry about your life. Don't worry about what you're going to eat. If I take care of the birds, and you are much more valuable than the birds, why are you worrying? 
Don't worry about what you're going to wear and what you're going to drink. Don't get stressed out about those things. Your Father in heaven knows what you need even before you ask him. And then he challenged me out of Psalm 37, verse 25. David said, I was young and now I'm old and I've never seen the righteous forsaken or their seed begging bread. And the Lord challenged me and said, Dan, do you know anybody that you've known as a Christian in your 45 years that's a beggar? And I started thinking of all these people I knew. And I realized I couldn't think of one that had become a beggar. And I realized his word is true. His word is true. And we spend so much time worrying about things. They say that I think 90-some percent of what you worry about never happens. I think 93%. Somebody says, but what about the other 7%? (laughs) God's got it. God's got it. It's not for you to carry. Often anxiety comes because we're carrying things that are not our responsibility to carry. He says, come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, in Matthew 11, 28 to 30. Come unto me, all you that are burdened and heavy laden, and take my yoke upon you. Doesn't it sound crazy? I'm going to put something on you to lighten your load. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart. You shall find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And see that if you understand yokes, in a yoke there's two oxen. There's the lead ox and the other ox that's helping pull. Jesus is the lead ox in the yoke, and he'll pull, he does the heavy lifting. You and I just go along for the ride. Sometimes people say, how do you have those things happen? I said, oh, I just go for a little ride with the Father. He's driving Jesus at his right hand in the front, and the Holy Spirit sits in the back seat, and every once in a while it tells me to get out and do something. That's too simple. I go, you know what? Sometimes simplicity is very profound in a very complex world. Simple obedience. He talked about birds, about... Then he said, look at Solomon in all his glory and all his splendor and all his wonder. I mean, the queen of Sheba came and said, oh, man, it couldn't be this good. And after she saw it, it said it took her breath away. Not only took her breath away, she said it's not even half as good as they told me it was. It's more, more than ha- not only half, you know, it's way beyond. It's over double of what I heard it was. It was way, way better. And he said, but if you look at the lilies of the field, even Solomon and all the splendor and all the people that dress themselves up and look really nice, they're nothing compared to the lilies of the field. They don't spin and toil. He said, look at all creation, how I've provided for the, you know, the trees and the birds and everything. Look at, look at what I am. Look at what I do. If I do that for these things and if grass grows and it's mown down and look how I adorn it just for your pleasure and to bring me glory and honor. Don't worry. Luke 12, 15 says, and he said to them, watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. And sometimes we want to build bigger barns and have more and get more and contain more. And, but life doesn't consist in your possessions. It consists in what possesses you. I tell people I'm, I'm Jesus possessed. I have an addictive behavior, I'll admit it, but now I'm addicted to Jesus. I used to be a drug and an alcoholic. I used to be an addict. But I'll tell you, there's a good thing about being an addict. You can be a Jesus addict. And we need to be people that live not in worry, but we live in the peace of God. And I'm not here to condemn anyone. I believe God wants to deliver people from heaviness. There's a spirit of heaviness that's over the whole earth because of what the enemy's trying to do. But the good news is he said, for the spirit of heaviness, I will give you the garment of praise. 
He didn't say you'd have to earn it. You'd have to do everything right yourself. It's the anointing that breaks the yokes off necks and shoulders. It's the presence of God that sets people free. It was the presence of God that caused the demoniac that was cutting himself, and all they could do is chain him to be the man who prepared the gospel to go to Decapolis, the ten major cities around the area. And we're going to see demonized people set free. We're going to see drug addicts and homeless people totally delivered by the power of God. We're going to see poor people and rich people and people of all colors and backgrounds. You know, it's one of our dreams here. I love that more and more we see people. You know, I dream of one day that we as white people in this church will be a minority. It's one of my dreams. I thought somebody might say amen. Amen. You know what he said? He said that we were to be rich towards God. In Luke 12, verse 21, don't be rich in the things of the world. Be rich towards God. I remember when Bill Gates told a story I saw in one of the things where he had a person that he couldn't afford a newspaper when he was younger. And the guy gave him the newspaper. And he came back a second time and didn't have the money and gave him a newspaper. And when he got rich, he decided he was going to go find that man. And he went and found him and said, uh, do you remember me? He said, yeah, I gave you a newspaper two times. He said, I want to give you whatever you want. And he said, I'm, I'm as rich as I want to be. I have everything I want. I don't need anything. And he said at that moment he realized that that man was richer than he was. Some of the happiest people I've seen on earth is places like Africa and Asia, Latin America, and they don't have very much, but they're so full of love and so full of joy. And no amount of money in the world could, could, could purchase it. So don't worry. Don't worry. And when you do worry, give him your burdens. Pour your heart out. Find people that will love you. And if someone comes to you and says they're having anxieties and fear attacks, you know, don't condemn them. Love them. Encourage them. Get them around little kids. Watch what happens. You can't hang out with little kids and not get happy. I mean, I'm sitting there in my adult mind. You know, can I, I better not say that word in church, but, you know, sometimes it just, you know what, I would, it just S-U-C and there's some other letters. To be an adult. Because you forget how to be a child. And you get so sophisticated. And I'm sitting here watching my two grandsons pushing these little sticks. And I'm having the most fun I've had all day. And they're going, oh, I won. He's going, Davey goes, I won. I beat you, Justice. He goes, okay, we're doing it again. If you know my grandson, Davey, it's always, whenever he's way behind, he says, okay, what's that one thing he says? Just slipped my mind. Winner, oh, winner take all in this one. And I said, well, you've lost six times in a row, so why would I do winner? He said, because this is the last one. He's going to win. He's determined he's going to win. But there's just such pure joy in being childlike. Part of the kingdom coming is we're childlike, and it's simple. You know, he's never gave me these big, sophisticated things that I'm supposed to do. He'll say, go and pray for that person, or go and give that person some money, or go tell them about what I did for that person. Or call them on the phone and encourage them. You notice in the scriptures, he didn't give people four-page printouts of what... Some people make Christian life so, so complicated, it gets ridiculous. He said in Acts, go join yourself to that chariot. Most of us in America, why do I have to join myself to the chariot? Why'd you bring me all the way out here in the desert? The revival was going on back in Samaria. I prayed for this. I'm Philip the Evangelist, Lord. And here was a man 
reading Isaiah. Wait. There's people that are waitresses that are waiting at the restaurant for you to come. There's people in your neighborhood that are waiting for you to come. There's people at your workplace that are waiting for you to come. And as you start to say, Lord, what do you want me to do today? Who do you want me to call? What, what are you about? Show me what I'm supposed to do. One phone call could change someone's life forever. We're so into big, huge things. Jesus went to a woman in the middle of adultery who'd already had five husbands and reached the whole city because he sat at a well and asked for a drink of water. How many people tell you to do that this week? Or he finds the little short guy that everybody hates that he's robbed everybody from and says, hey, uh, Zacchaeus, little guy in the tree, I'm going to eat lunch at your... It's a great form of evangelism, inviting yourself over to people's house for lunch. (laughs) But we've Americanized and Westernized and we think big. And it's all right to think big. But you know what I found? Most of the big thing happens because we've had small obediences. Those simple things that we've done that's opened huge doors has affected people. And we're going to talk about the unshakable kingdom. We're going to pray pretty soon if God helps me. The unshakable kingdom, he said, don't worry, but this is the remedy. He said, but seek first the kingdom. It's an interesting word that means it depicts a constant attitude of actively and constantly seeking for something. See, Joseph of Arimathea was one who was waiting for the kingdom. He was one who was seeking the kingdom. He was one of the Sanhedrin that was waiting for the Messiah to come. He was actively pursuing and looking. I believe Nicodemus was another one. They're two of the people that were probably in the upper room. Can you imagine what it was like in the upper room? Mary Magdalene with Joseph of Arimathea, the Sanhedrin. Do you think there was some confessions that went on in those 10 days between each other? I don't think it was just this way. I think a lot happened where people realized that, you know what, I used to look down on you, but you're the one that the Lord Jesus chose to tell the gospel message. The woman who had seven demons. And Peter, who cursed Jesus, was the one that the Holy Spirit chose to preach on the day of Pentecost. I sure that messed with a few people's theologies. H.G. Wells said it well, who when fumbling through history in search of the relevant came across the fact of the kingdom of God and was shocked as by an electric shock. Why, here is the most radical proposal ever presented to the mind of man. The proposal to replace the present order with God's order, the kingdom of God. And it was the central message of Jesus Christ was the gospel of the kingdom. Forty days after he uh, rose from the dead, it said that he spent time with the disciples teaching them pertaining to the things of the kingdom. That's one conference I would have loved to have been at. But even after that, they were saying, when is your kingdom going to come? Lord Jesus, when are you going to crush the Romans? And he realized they didn't understand about his kingdom of love and they needed to go out and preach and get involved with people so they could see his kingdom in action. And we see Jesus incarnated in the kingdom and the Greek word basilia means the kingdom rule and reign or the royal rule of a royal ruler. So wherever Jesus rules and reigns as king of kings and lord of lords, there is the kingdom. Wherever he doesn't, there is the kingdom of darkness. And our job is to take the kingdom of God into the midst of the kingdom of darkness and declare that the kingdom of God is at hand. And how do we enter the kingdom? We enter the kingdom by repenting. He said in Mark 1, uh, 15, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. One of the keys to the kingdom is we have to repent. We have to turn from going our own way, living our own life, and surrender our life to Jesus and believe that he died on the cross and shed his blood and rose on the third day as king of kings and lord of lords. And we surrender our lives to him. 
And we say, Lord Jesus, come into my life, forgive my sin, and you are now the Lord and the ruler of my life. I say yes from now on by the grace of God to everything you tell me to do. And he used the kingdom of God about a hundred times in the scriptures. He said in Luke 4, 43, but he said to them, I must preach the kingdom of God to other cities also because for this purpose I have been sent. And we find the key in the Lord's prayer is that he said, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. One of the keys of the kingdom is we have to be doing the will of God. If we're not doing the will of God, don't expect the kingdom to come. But if we're doing the will of God, we can see the kingdom come. Hebrews 12, 28, it says that we are serving God acceptably with reverence and godly fear because we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. The kingdom of God cannot be shaken by COVID-19. The kingdom of God cannot be shaken by a political party. The kingdom of God cannot be shaken by a human ruler who's at odds with the king of kings and the Lord of lords. And we have to get a resolve in the church that we represent a counterculture. We represent a kingdom that's not of this world. We're going to see the kingdoms of our God and the kingdoms of our Christ eventually in the consummation of the ages. He will be king of kings and Lord of lords over all, actually physically on the earth. But right now we're calling on the powers of the age to come. It talks about in Hebrews 6 where it deals with the first principles of Christ. And we've tasted of the powers of the world to come. I don't know about you, but when I saw a toe grow on somebody in front of my eyes, I realized I was tasting of the powers of the world to come. When I see people have no eye and see an eye formed in their eye, I realize that I'm tasting of the powers of the age to come. When I see drug addicts that are addicts that have no more cravings, all they crave now is to know Jesus and tell people about what he does. When I see alcoholics only want to drink new wine and get drunk in the Holy Spirit, I know that the kingdom has come. When someone has a demonic power and presence in their life and you pray in the name of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, the name of Jesus Christ, and demonic spirits flee and they never have those problems again. When blind eyes open and deaf ears hear and lame people walk, when people that are depressed and discouraged get helped, and if you haven't got your promise yet or your, your, uh, got your uh, answer to prayer yet, don't give up. We're here to help you. We're here to stand with you. We're here to pray for you. I've had people say, well, they haven't, it hasn't happened yet. I said, just wait around a while. I remember when John was invited to a Foursquare Youth Conference, and he was asked to uh, pray for a, a girl. Well, the youth pastor believed, and a number of the pastors had a theology that thought all those things stopped a long time ago. And there was a girl there from Granite Falls who was born normal. They found, I think, four days after she was born, two to four days, there was a nurse there that didn't know she had meningitis, and transmitted her meningitis to four of the babies. Three of them remained normal. This one girl got cerebral palsy because of the meningitis. All her life, she was told there was a God that loved her. You know what she thought? How could a loving God allow this to happen to me? She's at the camp in eastern Washington. She's told by her mother, you will go. She didn't want to go. A number of her friends are there from the school that watched her all her life. She came walking into the meeting and the first night, John called me, I'll never forget, and he said, Dad, I, I prayed, we t- prayed for 10 people that need healing. Eight of them got healed. And some of the pastors are asking why the other two didn't. What should I do? And I said, tell them the conference is not over. It's only the first night. 80% is not bad for the first night. Watch what happens the next two or three days. We're just starting. See, 
Don't allow the world and the devil and people's skepticism to stop the king from operating. I've seen too many of these things happen. And when they start to scoff and mock at God, you watch God show up. It's always fun to see someone healed that doesn't believe in healing in their face and say, I don't believe in this. And And then you go, you know that knee problem you have that's been bothering you since you were a little boy? It's going to get healed right now. And you go, oh man, my leg's on fire. What is that? That's the God you don't believe in. It's fun to watch God move. And it's not about us. We're, we're, We're not impressive. Let's not fool anybody. We're totally unimpressive. But the God who lives in us is incredibly impressive. And he moves and he works. Make a long story short, they, the youth pastor and him kept believing. And on, the, on the, the, the night before the last day, they finally said, could you do something you couldn't do? And I think it was, it was uh, her, her, she never moved her toe and her feet had never been flat. So her toe started to move, it never moved, it got flat. Make a long story short, by the end of the conference, she walked out of the conference normal. They put it in the Four Square magazine about her healing. All the kids, a lot of kids got saved that night. I mean, you watch this girl, you've grown up with her for 13 years. I mean, Granite Falls is not that big a city. And guess how many kids got saved that night that didn't believe God was real? They realized God was real that night. That's your pastor that did that a few years ago. He stepped out. See, you have to step out to see the kingdom come. It's easier to be safe. It's easier to be a cynic. It's easier to be a bystander. It's easier to be a critic. But I'll tell you, when you get in the action where the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords is working with his fathers and you come into the Father's house and you go into the Father's world and you realize you don't have to worry that he's going to come in power where we present him and proclaim him. So we repent and then we have to be born again. We have to give our life to Jesus. If you're listening to the sound of my voice or you're here today and you've not been born again, you need to get born again. If you're not filled with the Holy Spirit, you need to get filled with the Holy Spirit. I had a student in class. I was speaking on John chapter 3. Her name is Tiffany Butler. Uh, They put her in my class at Seattle Bible College. She ended up going here, ended up getting her bachelor's at Seattle Bible College. Then she got her master's degree. I saw on Facebook yesterday she's going to go to Scotland and get her PhD. She came out of a kind of a gobbledygook thing in Arizona where they're up in the hills and they you know, worship rocks and did a bunch of martial arts and quasi-Christian and Buddhism and a bunch of gobbledygook all mixed together. And they put her in my Gospel of John class. They said, well, she wants to come to school and we don't know what to do with her. So we thought, Why don't? I said, yeah, bring her in the Gospel of John class. So I get to John 3 and I'm preaching about being born again and John chapter 3 and I get done, I get ready, to, I, I pray and class is going to be over. So I'm praying, I go like this and she's, she's kneeling right there next to the podium. I said, what are you doing, Tiffany? She said, I want to be born again. I go, right now? She goes, right now. And I said, well, you've heard us all speak in tongues. You want that too? And she goes, yeah, I want that too. So we prayed. I said, okay, we talked about being born again. Now you're going to see John 3 in action. It wasn't just a story for Nicodemus. And so we prayed. She got born again. She started speaking in tongues. And well, the presence of God, because when the kingdom comes, things get released. When the kingdom comes, power gets manifested. When the kingdom comes and things like people get born again and people get filled with the Holy Spirit and people get healed and words of knowledge and prophecies come, guess what happens? The kingdom gets released and the kingdom of darkness starts to flee. And so I was sitting there watching all this and I'm saying, Lord, you're so good. He said, I'm going to start healing people. I said, does anybody need to be healed? 
And one of the young men raised his hand and said, Pastor Dan, you didn't know, but uh, I ripped my arm, all the muscles under my arm, and I haven't been able to lift my arm for four months, and I, I work at a grocery store. I haven't been able to work. I don't know how to pray for Bible school. And I said, okay, well, God's going to heal you today, right now. Because the kingdom was present. And I said, how many in here have never prayed for someone to be healed? And they all kind of just stared like deers in the headlight. And I go, how many haven't prayed? And finally, two guys kind of went like this. Actually, his parents, one of the two boys, his parents were in the first service, David Michaels and Paul, who came here for years. They kind of raised their hands. I said, okay, you're going to pray for him, and God's going to heal him. You just seen their eyes when they looked at me. They go, you pray for him, and we'll stand behind you. I said, no, you'll pray for him, and I'll stand behind you. I know how to do this. You need to learn how to do it. They started praying, and in less than 30 seconds, this young man is screaming, I can't do this. I can't do this. I'm healed. You should have seen the two guys. They're like. They, and I, I, it changed their lives. And then God just started to heal people all over the room. I'm praying that his kingdom comes today. I'm praying that his will will be done because when he comes, people get healed, people get saved, people get delivered, people get words of knowledge, people get words of counsel, and God speaks to them through the word and through different types of things. And we repent, we're born again, and we become to be led of the Spirit. It says the kingdom of heaven suffereth violence in Matthew 11, and the violent take it by force. There needs to be a passion to advance the kingdom. This is not a time to shrink back because we're told you can't do this and you can't do that. Well, we're, you know what? We're going to do the works of the kingdom. We're not going to be rebellious, but the kingdom is going to come. And his will is going to be done. And we're going to learn to operate in the kingdom. And to operate in the kingdom, Matthew 18, Jesus said a child. We need to get back to a childlike faith. We become way, way too sophisticated. Remember my friend Dr. Matthew Thomas said they started asking me to do deeper messages at conferences and things and he said the messages got deeper and deeper and less and less happened and I got back to the simple message of the gospel of Jesus Christ that's where the power is that's what people need they need the presence and the power of God to be manifested in their lives to deliver them to set them free to bring healing to bring wisdom to bring grace into people's lives so it operates, and we operate. It says in Matthew 16 that he's given us the keys of the kingdoms of heaven, that whatever we bind on earth will be bound in heaven, or what's already been bound in heaven we can bind on earth. Whatever's been loosed in heaven we can loose on earth. He's given us the keys of repentance. He's given us the keys of the name of Jesus. He's given us the keys of the word of God. He's given us the keys of the confession of faith in Jesus and what it does, how it causes the kingdom to operate. And he said to them, the kingdom of God doesn't come by observation in Luke 17, 21, but it comes that the kingdom of God is within you. When you have the king in you, the kingdom can operate within you. You can have a relationship with him and talk to him and walk with him. And then it says in Matthew 13 that again, the kingdom of heaven, verses 44, is like a treasure hidden in a field which a man found and hid, and for joy over it goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. I don't know about you, but when I got saved, I bought the whole field. I I got in. I was all in. I didn't have to be told to be committed. I was committed to the devil and darkness and drugs and sin and selfishness, and when I got saved, I got saved. And I became a radical believer. And I said, you know what, I'm totally committed. I'm all in on this. You know what they told my wife? Oh, Dan gets really excited about stuff, and he'll go back to his old ways. You know, he's just getting excited about being a Christian. Well, I've been on a 45-and-a-half-year fad. It's really great. 
It's really awesome. And it gets better and better and better all the time. Have you sold all? We need to be passionate about the kingdom. We need to sell all to follow him. We need to be radical believers. He sold all for us, so it's our, it's our right and our privilege to sell all for him and serve him with all our hearts. And he brings out treasures new and old. And then we need to operate with God. In John 5, 19 and 20, I'm going to close with this. It says, the son can do nothing of himself. If Jesus, the son of God and the son of man could do nothing by himself, why do we try to do things by ourselves? That's most of our frustrations. We handle our problems by ourselves. We handle things in our own strength. When he said, I only do what I see the father doing. A lot of my prayer time is just to say, Father, show me what you're doing. Lord Jesus, show me what you're doing with the Father today. Holy Spirit, show me what you're doing with this Father and the Son. At a time like that in India, we were worshiping before the Sunday night service with Dr. Thomas, and I just said, Father, what are you doing? He said, I'm going to heal someone that's deaf. Didn't know it was a five-year-old boy that had never, never heard. And I'll tell you, if you're in Dr. Thomas's church and you say somebody's going to get healed of deafness, they better get healed. Don't say, well, you think it might have happened. It better happen, you know, Dr. Thomas. <laughs> Someone said, what happened the first time Dr. Thomas came? I said, well, the first two times, this is what it felt like, like boxing Mike Tyson. And they had duct taped you to the belt buckle and you didn't have any gloves on. And he'd already bitten off both your ears and it hit you constantly for 15 rounds. I said, that's what it felt like after he'd been there. Is that a good graphic description? But I realized what he was telling me was true. And I'll never forget when that little boy, his ears opened, the Hindu boy, and when his mom was yelling in his face, he said to her, Mom, you don't have to scream at me anymore. I can hear now. I can hear. And then when my wife and I were back the last time, 12 years later, I'm sitting in the front row to speak, and he brings this little boy up that's now 17 and says, Pastor, do you recognize this boy? And I'm saying, uh, no, but from the sounds of your voice, I think I'm supposed to. He said, this is the little boy you prayed for 12 years ago that had deaf ears. He opened his ears, and he's, he's now in charge of our sound system. <laughs> God's kingdom is going to come today. It's here. You can feel it. It's in the atmosphere. I remember when I was with Monty Christensen up at a vineyard conference. We're sitting way in the back at the Langley Vineyard, 2,400 people in the building. And they say, uh, I'm, I want people to step out in the aisle. And you're kind of hoping since it's some of your first times praying at somebody with a cold or a migraine. Or, but guess who was sitting next to us? A lady that had crutches on like this. She drug her body in. She was paralyzed from the waist down. She had those like catcher's things that went all the way down both sides. She was standing in the aisle next to us and we're the only two people in the back. So we couldn't chicken out. So we start praying for her. All of a sudden, she starts shaking while we're praying. She shakes and shakes for a long time, and we can hardly hold on to her. And she was a little gal like this. And so she quit shaking finally, and she said, sit me down in the chair. We said, she said, take off my braces. We took off her braces. She said, take away my crutch. She said, now stand me up. We stood her up, and she had no, nothing in her legs. She was, she was like this. She goes, let go. We're like, let go? You're thinking, there's a cement floor. There's no rug here. This is like a warehouse. You're going to smack your face. If we, but we knew God had been doing something. We let her go. 
And she went like this. She kind of went like this, and she went way back like this, almost touched her head. And as, as her head almost touched the concrete, her leg went out. Oh! And she went, oh! 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 And then she started running down the center aisle. So when people ask me the crazy question, do you believe in healing? I said, actually, I've seen healing, thousands of them, that God's done. She ran around. Pretty soon the whole place under, realized something had happened. She's running laps around the whole thing. And we're all, people are cheering and jumping, and, and we're holding the things, you know, like this. And, and only as John Wimber could, he stands there and goes, shut up! <laughs> I thought the lady got healed. What do we do wrong now? Felt like the Three Stooges. And he goes, what's happened right now is he said, there's been a gift of faith released into this auditorium. And if you're not careful, you'll get so emotionally involved in what's happened, you'll miss all the other things that are going to happen now. When a miracle like this happens, it releases faith into the atmosphere. And he said, if you'll watch for about the next hour, he said, waves are going to start on one side and move across the sanctuary. There was over 200 reported healings that happened in the next hour. And we watched the Holy Spirit ripple through the congregation. So when Monty and I get together, we always talk about those times. When you've seen those things, you realize what happens when the kingdom comes. And you're not real satisfied with kind of ordinary, ordinary. Yes, we all have ordinary. Yes, we all go through struggles and valleys and mountains, but you want the presence of God to permeate the city, to permeate the state, to permeate the nations. So be childlike and use the keys of the kingdom, the power of his name and hearing his voice and listen for it and be totally committed, be passionate and find out where God's working. One young man said this, put God first and everything will come your way. Put God first and everything will come your way. So Father, we thank you today. We thank you today. I'm gonna ask the prayer team to come right away. Got done a little early, I think, for me. I want the prayer, I need prayer people real quick. Don't sit around and wonder if you're supposed to come. If you're part of the prayer team, I need you. Pastors, leaders, I need you up here to pray for people. God really moved in the first service, touched people. There's also going to be some prophetic ministry by the prophetic people. Be, be ready. Just bow your heads for a minute. Father, I pray if there's anyone in the sound of my voice that's not received Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, just like you opened Tiffany's heart that many years ago in the room at the end of the building. Now you're taking her all around the world as your missionary. You took her into Mexico. You took her into South America. Now you're taking her into Scotland. You took her to Krista to work. You took her all over the world into Africa. Never dreamed that day when she knelt beside the podium what you would do with her life. That's how the kingdom operates. And Father, I pray if there's someone that's never received Christ that they would surrender their life to Jesus Christ, that they would surrender their life to the kingdom of God. They might be worried and anxious and fearful. Lord, I thank you that your gospel comes to bring us love and joy and peace and righteousness in the Holy Spirit. And Lord, that you are King of kings and Lord of lords. And when you were put in Joseph of Arimathea's tomb, death and sin and the devil and principalities could not hold you. And you arose triumphant on the third day. And you sit at the right hand of the Father in power and glory. And you love people so much. You love the world so much. More than we can even imagine, oh God. 
Is there anyone to say, Pastor Dan, that's me. I need to receive Christ. I need to surrender to Jesus. I need to give my life to him. Just wave your hand at me if that's you right now. Wave your hand at me if that's you. A little hard to see. Just lift up and let me see it, and then you can put it back down once I've seen it. I want to pray for you today. Thank you. I see your hand at the back. Is there anyone else? We join this one man and say, I want to receive Christ. This is the kingdom's come when someone gives their heart to Jesus. Who knows, God might take that man. Who knows what God will do with one life that's yielded to him. Anyone else, you'd say, that's me. I need to receive Christ. I want to enter the kingdom. I want to be born again. I want my life to be transformed. I want to leave my sin and I want to surrender to Christ. Anyone else? How many of you would say, I need to be filled with the Holy Spirit? I need to be baptized in the Holy Spirit. I need to speak with other tongues. Where are you? Raise your hand if that's you. Raise your hand high. Thank you. Thank you. Anyone else? Raise your hand high. I looked on the left side, now on the right side. Anyone else? There was two. One in the back. Thank you. That's three. Is there others? The kingdom's going to come today. The kingdom's here. Another one over here. Thank you. Fourth one. Someone else. Fifth one. Yes. Anyone else? You need to be baptized in the Holy Spirit. You want to speak with other tongues. My 11-year-old grandson called me and FaceTimed me at about 10 o'clock at night. He got filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in tongues. And he started speaking in tongues over FaceTime. He wanted Papa to know that he was speaking in tongues now. He's got a powerful prayer language. He's an 11-year-old who knows what God's going to do. Anyone else need to be filled? There was five or six people. You need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And when you're filled with the Holy Spirit, it says in Acts 1.8, but you will receive power. After that, the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be witnesses unto me in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and the uttermost parts of the earth. And out of your innermost being will flow rivers of living water. It says Jesus spoke this in John 7.37 and 38. He spoke this about the Holy Spirit who had not yet been given because he had not yet ascended. But when Christ ascended to the right hand of the Father, the Father's promise was that when the Christ had arisen and was seated at his right hand, that he would pour out the Holy Spirit. And that Jesus himself has said in Matthew that he's the baptizer in the Holy Spirit. So he will baptize you in the Holy Spirit. He will fill you with the Holy Spirit. He will fill you with the power of God to overcome sin to minister in a whole new way, to have a new relationship with God and to have the rivers of living water. It speaks about in Ezekiel 47 and Revelation 21, 22, that out of your innermost being, life will flow. And John 17, three says, and this is eternal life, that they might know you, the only true God in Jesus Christ whom you've sent. And you'll have a relationship with the Father and the Son and he'll love you and bless you and help you and encourage you and break off things in your life that need to be broken off. One last time, any other others you want to be filled with the Holy Spirit? I'm going to ask you to come, all those people right now, the one that raised their hand for salvation, the other that raised, we're here to help you. We're not here to embarrass you. Everybody, would you please stand up, make it easy for people to come. If you're one of those people that raised your hand to give your heart to Christ, the young man that did, and others that said you want to be baptized the Holy Spirit, please come forward right now. We're not here to embarrass you. We're here to help you. We all walked forward one day. So you people know what to pray for now. Thank you for listening to the Sunrise Message of the Week. Help us get the message out there by sharing this with your friends and family on your social media. Have a great day.